It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Illini Fellows Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly with you from Spartan Stadium on the campus of Michigan State University. Lauren Tate with us as well at our Champaign headquarters. Illinois basketball wins last night on the road. More on that coming up. A big football game for the Illini today on a busy weekend of Fighting Illini Sports. Mr. Tate, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Give us a rundown on what it looks like up there weather-wise. Weather-wise, it is 30 with a 40% chance of snow flurries today. As we speak, right as we uh, came on the air, a crew of about 20 guys is taking uh, the tarp off the field. It's a natural grass field here at Spartan Stadium. It's been covered all night. They're taking it off in sections, and I hope the wind doesn't get under one of those sections, or those guys <laughs> might be doing some some hot air floating uh, uh, before the day's out. But they've got a they've got a method on how it's getting done, and uh, they're working on that now. So they're getting uh, the field ready to go for this 2:35 kick at Spartan Stadium. So it's not going to be another ideal day for passing, which has been the case over the last several weeks. I think, uh, particularly the rain at Purdue, but. Uh, maybe passing will be a little difficult. What do you think? It might be. Right now, the wind's out of the north at 13 miles an hour. So um, we're up high, and I can't see any flags. Yeah, yeah, it's blowing pretty good. So, yeah, that could be a factor in the passing game and the kicking game as well. We'll talk more about this game, obviously, a lot as we move through. The phone line is open, 356-9397, if you'd like to join us. Late last night, you may have seen it. I had a chance to watch it uh, on uh, my computer here in East Lansing, the Illini basketball game last night. Tough atmosphere to play in. Grand Canyon's um, student uh, section seems to have things going out there. It was noisy, but uh, the Illini did enough to win. And right now, through the first uh, couple of ball games, it's uh, Andres Feliz and uh, Kofi Coburn show, Lauren. Yes, it really is. And and uh, Feliz is just playing terrific. It's setting the thing up, and and Kofi's dominating inside. Uh, particularly rebounding and scoring as well. I mean, it, it's a, it was a strange game in the sense that Illinois had that 56-41 lead. It was 15-point lead. Well, they had a 20-point lead against Nickel State, and they blew that and, uh, and had to go into overtime. And this game went all the way from a 15-point lead down to 71-67 with about four-plus minutes to go, and um, Felice pulled them out again. I mean, Felice makes the plays and not only had a couple nice baskets late, under pressure, but also flipped one to uh, Kofi for a dunk. So um, that, that's, a, that's a combination that's working. I'm not sure what's going on with Io. Uh, the only thing I would say is that he did have six assists, but he's not shooting the ball as well as I saw him shooting it earlier in practice when he was just so red hot for weeks there, uh, you know, uh, in, in those drills. And I'm not sure what's happening, but uh, it looks like he's uh, a little too tense on his shots. I'm not sure. Well, he scored nine points. He played 35 minutes, but as you said, didn't shoot it well again. Three for 11 from the field. Kofi had 23 and 14, so back-to-back doubles 
first uh, back-to-back double opening uh, a season by a freshman since Ephraim Winters. And this will make you feel old, make me feel old when I read the stat, 37 years ago yeah. was the last time that happened. Uh, Kofi was 8 for 12 from the field, did have four turnovers in the ballgame. Feliz, solid, 21 points, six rebounds, four assists. Alan Griffin off the bench with 11 points was a, a bright spot, I thought. Yeah, well, he had a couple threes, and that always helps. And, and uh, he hit the three that gave him a 56-41 lead. But down the stretch, Steve, the last 12 minutes of the game, the crucial part of the game, 12 minutes, Illinois scored six field goals, and three of them were by Felice, and one was a pass from Felice to Kofi for a dunk. So they are, they're, they're a little tense at the end of the ball games here, the last, both, both games that they played. They're just, they seem to be tense at the end. Illinois wins at 83-71 to 71 over Grand Canyon University after the game. Here's some of what Brad Underwood had to say. We knew they would be pumped up. We knew they would be amped. They knew that, you know, getting a Big Ten uh, opponent in their facility is a, is a really, really big deal. And, and uh, uh, nothing comes easy on the road. I don't care where you're at and who you play. And I think Kofi showed some of his dominance uh, that he can do just being able to post hard, put fouls on people. And, and uh, uh, he makes you... Uh, you know, he makes you you, you you have to do something different uh, in guarding him. But uh, I, I'm proud of our guys. You know, it was a it was a little bit humbling the other night. You know, and and uh, you know we we thought things were pretty easy, and and yet uh, as I think I mentioned in, in pregame, you know, a gift is something that uh, uh, can be pretty special when you take advantage of it, and, and you learn through adversity, and you learn through through teaching moments, and uh, uh, we bounced back. We were really good. Uh, uh, especially yesterday in practice, and uh, I'm, I'm proud of our guys. Rebounding again, Lauren, a key factor in the ball game. A 52 to 26 edge on the boards, and uh, 20 of those rebounds on the offensive end. Yeah, they're, Illinois really rebounded the ball well, and it's all because of Kofi. Uh, that's 56 plus rebounds, I believe, in two, 30 and 26, 56 plus rebounds. And this is a team that last year had a negative rebounding record. In fact, it was more than 100. They had 100 fewer rebound, more than 100 fewer rebounds than the teams they played against during the course of the season. But this is a, a, a Kofi's playing better in, bo- in both games, in all three games. I'm counting the exhibition game. He's played better than we had seen him. I think in play, he's just he's responding to the games, and not everybody does that. That's a, that's a good quality to have. He seems to get up for the games. And Sunday nights, another challenge on the home court of uh, uh, an ongoing good program, if not uh, great some years, Arizona. That'll be tough. They've got uh, some four- and five-star athletes on the, that roster and some good young guys as well. Yeah, I watched the game with Northern um, Arizona, and they really flow. They are really good. They are much more athletic than Illinois I'm terms, in terms of quickness and overall quickness. They don't have any... You know, I mean, uh, I'm I'm afraid that uh, Georgie's going to have a tough time keeping up because he had a, he had a tough time last night. He fouled out in 17 minutes of that game, and and uh, uh, the redhead uh, Mannion from from Italy is really good. I mean, he's a NBA player, I think. He's a freshman, and of course, Josh Green is too. And those two guys, the two freshmen, lead this team. But they've got another six or seven, eight guys. I mean, they they run a nice rotation of at least nine players. And they, they really get up and down the court, and they're quick around the basket. I mean, really quick. This is a good team. And I, I think Illinois is uh, going to take an exceptional game for Illinois to win this game. 
We talked, uh, you mentioned Georgie a little bit, fouling out last night in uh, 17 minutes of play, nine points, six rebounds. And it's a small sample size, just two games. But your feeling on what you've seen from him so far in a little bit different role with uh, Kofi in there. Well, he's having trouble adjusting because Kofi's taken over his role, basically. And now that doesn't mean that Kofi's going to play 40 minutes, obviously. And I think it's going to settle down to around 25. Uh, I think Kofi got a little bit of a cramp at the end of the game last night. I'm not sure. He was limping. Uh, I think that's what uh, Underwood said. And uh, I, I just yeah, I think that they're going to have to alternate the two guys at center a lot. And I don't know, I don't know how much of the time that he's going to be spending. Uh, well, he's obviously starting, but uh, I don't think there's be an awful lot of time that the two of them are going to be in there together. Maybe 10 or 15 minutes, something like that. Yeah, Kofi played 22 minutes in the game uh, last night. And as you mentioned, looked like it was getting to him a little bit late there. And uh, that uh, I was pretty impressed with uh, from what I saw on the television broadcast with the atmosphere there. They seem yeah. to really get into it, don't they? Oh, yeah. Well, they got the students are all on that one side, and they got all those good seats. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and they are in unison over there doing all kinds of movements, and, and they're standing up and jumping when the game started. And, it uh, yeah, it's, it's a great atmosphere. But I think most team, uh, players get used to that sort of thing. I mean, it may be more extreme there than anywhere else, but – I think th- I don't think it uh, affected the Illinois team that much. Uh, there's something happens to the Illinois team is happening in these two games late, as they they just seem to tighten up, and I'm I'm not sure why, but uh, as long as they've got uh, as long as they've got Feliz to to keep him going, uh, he's he's the difference maker. Here's Brad Underwood after the game about that atmosphere there and what the Illini had to fight through. And this was special. I mean, I, I told our guys beforehand. Home court advantage is this. It's loud and it's, I mean, and it's so well choreographed and the band, it, they didn't hear me in timeouts. And and it forces you to break down in terms of your communication. And I thought we handled that very well. And, and uh, Grand Canyon's got something uh, really positive going here and, and Dan's doing a great job here. Dan, of course, is Dan Marley, the coach there. Jerry Colangelo in the crowd. He's got a connection to both universities and uh, there's a statue of him outside that one. Yeah, I think he put some money in the business uh, department, didn't he? Yeah, I, I mean, think so. He, I heard him say he even attends some of the classes. Mm-hmm. You know, not not as a student, but I mean, he just walks right. in and talks about things, and uh, you know, he knows the business. But uh, this this was, uh, you know, Grand Canyon uh, had a terrible start in that game against Davenport, but they hit two out of 19 threes in that game, and Davenport hit 15 out of 30. So <laughs> when that happens, you know, that just changes the game entirely. They shot they shot the ball a little better, and Illinois did a poor job getting out on Lieber in that game. The big guy is about 6'10", and he's standing out there, and you got to guard him. He's not going to beat you off the dribble. If he's out there, you got to come all the way out and guard him because he's going to shoot threes, and he hits them. The Illini 2-0 in the season after that 12-point win. In uh, Arizona last night, University of Arizona coming up tomorrow night in Tucson at 8 o'clock Champagne time. The Illini women's team in action uh, this afternoon at the State Farm Center, 2 o'clock against Holy Cross, trying to make it uh, two wins to start the season. Other Big Ten uh, men's teams in action last night, Wisconsin beat EIU 65-52. The Badgers now 1-1 on the year. Northwestern lost at home by 10 to Merrimack. University out of Massachusetts. I had to look that one up. Yeah, that game was tied real late, and Merrimack went on a run to win it. So the Wildcats are 0-1 on the season, and Iowa 
opened uh, the season with an 87-60 win over SIU Edwardsville. Looks like Iowa's going to be uh, okay. And uh, Bohannon, by the way, played in that game. Yeah, we've got to take another look at Iowa. I, I thought they were really going to fall back, but now with Bohannon uh, playing and and they've got the Weisskopf. They got some some pretty good players on that team. I thought when when Moss left, and and he transferred to Kansas by the way and has been hurt, and then Bohannon was declared probably out for the season. I took a different look, and now I, I think we got to look at him a little different now. Yep. Here's our uh, anticipated lineup for the next uh, almost two hours. Of course, the phone lines are always open at three five six nine three nine seven. Coming up after our first break, we'll talk some. More college basketball with J.D. Collins, former Big Ten and a national basketball official. He is now the NCAA National Basketball uh, Director of Officiating, so we've had him on a time or two. We'll talk about uh, this season in uh, basketball officiating with him coming up next at 9.30. Dion Thomas will join us from uh, Arizona. He worked the game last night on the radio. We'll catch up with uh, Dion at 9.45. We'll talk Michigan State football maybe some basketball too with their longtime guy, Jack Ebling. At 10 o'clock, David Jones, who covers Penn State and is in Minneapolis this morning for a big game there. We'll preview that game with him, the Penn State-Minnesota game in a battle of unbeatens. And about 10.30, Greg Hansen from Arizona. He is a writer covering uh, the University of Arizona. We'll uh, talk more with him about what's going on, not only about this game tomorrow night, uh, but other things going on with the University of Arizona as well. So that's our lineup. We'll take our first break. You're listening to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Back with more after this. Moving up on 917, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly with you until 11 o'clock. Got J.D. Collins standing by. We're going to talk some basketball with him. But first, let's uh, go uh, to the phones. Caller's been hanging on during uh, the uh, break. Uh, Gary in Urbana. Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, just a couple of things. What, for what you said, I've been to a couple of games at Grand Canyon. Great facility and an unbelievable atmosphere. It's, it's really something. Um, did you happen to watch the Kentucky-Michigan uh, State game the other night? Parts of it. Parts of it. Um, did you, did you, were you impressed by Maxie? I, mean, I was impressed was awesome. by – I was impressed by just about – Everybody on the floor in that game, in those, in those two games there, you, you see the athletes that those programs have, and uh, and uh, you really see where you're at. Uh, depending on what team you root for, you might uh, be able to see how far away you might be. Right. Well, I just Maxie had an unbelievable game, and I just I don't know that Io has ever had a game like Maxie did, and they keep talking about him turning pro, and he just hasn't shown. I don't think he's shown something like that freshman did for Kentucky. Right. You know, although it was only one game, it may not stay like that, but he was really impressive. Good yeah. stuff, Gary. Uh, Lauren, any thoughts on that? Well, he came off the bench in that game and, yeah. and was just red hot and was smiling all the way through it. He was really having fun. And, of course, that last three hit from, from way downtown was a big shot for uh, for Kentucky. And, you know, I, I don't know if everybody if he'll have a game like that every time. But you're right, Iowa is not playing like an NBA player right now. That's not, there's no question about that. He, he didn't in the exhibition game, and he didn't last night. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to see how, if the kid keeps going like that, he won't be there but, but a year anyway. So, right. okay, thanks. Yep, Gary, appreciate the call. The phone line is open, 356-9397. Happy to welcome back to the program J.D. Collins, NCAA National Coordinator of Basketball Officials. 
So, J.D., I guess you probably put your golf clubs away, and uh, now you're focusing on the, the job at hand with uh, basketball getting underway this past week. Well, you are correct. My golf clubs are in the attic, but uh, I didn't get to play as much this summer as, as I would like because we had too many rule changes to deal with. What do you think of that? Well, let's <laughs> talk about some of those. What's, uh, <clears throat> give us the, uh, the uh, short version of what uh, fans should be looking for as far as the rules this year. Well, I think, I think there were 20, 26 rule changes, and uh, there's probably only about 15 that impact the game where people would notice, and I'm going to probably only cover about four of them. So how about that? Uh, the increase of the three-point distance to the FIBA line um, is, a, is a big change, uh, but what we know from the past is that when you move the three-point line back, it takes about one to two years for the shooting percentage, the scoring percentage, to be back to where it was before. So I think it's a good move to try to space the floor a little bit better. And as you know, some of our three-point shooters can, can really fire it. Um, the second rule change that I think uh, people will notice is on a on a offensive rebound in the front court. So um, Illinois takes a shot, hits rim, comes off, and Illinois gets the rebound. We're going to reset the shot clock to 20 in those situations, um, which the reason for that is uh, the, the rules committee felt that you didn't need the 10 seconds to bring the ball up the court, so we're just reset to 20. You're going to get more possessions. With more possessions, you're going to have more scoring, um, so you, you understand how that works. Uh, eliminate flopping from the game. Um, now, flop is, uh, you know, we all think of block charge plays as, as the only area where, where flopping occurs, but in reality, our game has developed to flopping plays on block charge plays, uh, we call flopping when an offensive player is dribbling the ball, drives to the, drives to the free throw lane, and the offensive player initiates contact and then throws his head back to try to fool an official into thinking the defender caused the contact, and then flopping on a three-point shot. Uh, you see a, a three-point shooter go up, he goes in the air, the guy swipes at the ball, doesn't make contact, and he falls to the ground like, like he's been shot. The rules committee put in play that um, we can warn one time uh, for flopping, and that warning is one of four player delay warnings. So the four player delay warnings are flopping, hitting the ball after a score to slow down um, continuous play, huddling up during free throws and stopping things from happening, and then crowding the guy on the sideline. Those are four player delays that we put in the book. If you have any one of those delays and we we put a delay in the book, the, the subsequent delay, the next delay of any of the four of those is a technical foul. Class B, one shot, point of interruption. Um, so we could have a flop warning in the first half, and you can have a, a guy tip the ball in the second, second half after a score, and we're going to put a class B technical foul on it. Or the reverse of that, guy tips the ball out of bounds to slow everything down, 10 minutes into the first half and two minutes later a player flops, that's going to be a class B technical foul. It's one shot. Uh, the bottom line to that, the rules committee felt that if they regulated it, if they put a rule and a penalty in, that players would stop flopping. And uh, I think you two could, could comment on whether you agree or disagree, uh, but we've, we certainly have just had too much flopping in our game. And then the last one um, is we rewrote uh, the flagrant one and flagrant two foul definitions. 
um, flagrant one used to say um, excessive in nature, uh, and now it says uh, excessive in nature and and or extreme. I believe, and I want to get I want to get the specific wording so that I at least educate to the uh, best of my ability your fan base. But in the years past, the 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 wording on flagrant one foul said. Uh, let's see here. It is deemed excessive in nature and or unnecessary. And we added wording, it's excessive in nature, which means unwarranted, too much, avoidable, uncalled for, or not required by the circumstances of the play. Those words are going to help referees distinguish between a common foul and a foul that would be a flagrant one. Flagrant two uh, used to say not only excessive, but also severe or extreme, and now it says not only excessive, but also severe, which means brutal, harsh, or cruel, or extreme, dangerous, or punishing. And I think what will happen with redefining uh, what a flagrant foul is, is that we'll have a better and more consistent application night to night to night, uh, no matter which game you're, you're viewing. Our, our hope is that we have a more consistent application of flagrant foul rules because obviously the penalty's uh, pretty stiff. So those are kind of the four highlights I would tell you. There's others, and I'd be happy to talk through any of them. Well, J.D., this is Lauren. Uh, on that flagrant two, does that mean the player will be thrown out? That is correct. A flagrant two penalty is two shots and the ball and the player is ejected from the game. Flagrant one penalty is two shots and the ball and you, you play on. Okay. Uh, is, uh, were there any points of emphasis that you gave the officials this year that you, you know, without a, a change in, in rule necessarily, but a point of emphasis? Well, I, you know, unfortunately, I think traveling is our, our biggest problem. Yep. And when I refereed, I thought it was pretty simple, really. You find the feet, then you move your eyes up to, to referee the contact. And if you know which foot's the pivot, <coughs> when they move it beyond the prescribed limits, you know it's a travel. But we still have um, travels we don't call, and we still have travels that we do call that aren't travels. So that's, that is a focus point, and uh, what the Rules Committee has, has pushed to me is call the rules as written. If, if they travel, they travel, call it. And so we're really, we're really pushing hard to get that uh, better. Um, another one is protecting jump shooters. You know, there, there's a lot of tricks in the game. You can elbow tip. You can tap a guy in the stomach. You can uh, come up underneath a shooter and take away his landing spot. And we have to do a better job of protecting those shooters. And then just like that, we have shooters now who, uh, when they shoot, their, their, let's say their right foot moves forward about six inches as a natural shooting motion. When, a, when an offensive player goes up and shoots and he uses a, uses a unnatural leg kick out, and trips or impacts the defender, we're going to start calling player control fouls on those plays because that's a, that's a type of play we just don't need in our game. Um, so those are a few. Uh, in addition to uh, the directive to reduce physicality, I think we've made a lot of progress in the last three to four years, and we still have uh, room for growth in trying to get physicality not out of our game because I, you know basketball is a physical game, but to manage it to the point where – uh, it's more appropriate for the game that, that we all want to watch and want to see. J.D., I got one more, and it's the, this whole business of backing down. A, 
uh, let's say a pivot man gets the ball inside the free throw line and then starts backing down his defender. And it just seems like uh, that's almost impossible to call. A lot of times officials let that go, and, and a guy can really butt his uh, defender down and, and almost shoot a layup. Well, and that, you know, that, that's under our directive to reduce physicality in post-play, calling the first displacement. Um, if we have, uh, I call it the bump-bump play, where the offensive player gets it, starts bumping, and each time he bumps, he moves the guy back about right. a foot. Well, in, instead of having an eight-foot shot, the guy's going to have a layup by the time it's done. And what we're instructing our officials nationwide is call the first foul. When he displaces him, call an call a, uh, offensive foul on that play, and we won't they'll stop doing it yep. because fouls are pretty important to the bigs. So we are focusing on that, Lauren, and it's a good point you bring up. Steve? Another couple of minutes with uh, J.D. Collins, National Coordinator of Basketball Officials for the NCAA. What's a typical week during the season like for you? What are you doing? What are you watching? <laughs> I'm probably during the season traveling. Uh, I probably average four to five days a week, and I'm traveling to all parts of the country. Um, when I go to an area of the country, uh, I'm looking, I'm going to see officials because part of my job is to identify and select uh, the 100 officials that work the NCAA tournament. I have four very talented regional advisors that help me do that. Um, all in all, last season we saw over 600 games and over 1,800 officials um, to try to make sure that we bring the right 100 officials into, into the tournament. And so not only am I doing that, but I'm meeting with conference offices, but I'm going to games, I'm evaluating the officials. We provide the officials with a written report after each one of those evaluations uh, so that if there is something they need to improve on, they're being told, or if there's plays that we think they miss, we, we detail those out. And as you know, the conference level uh, coordinators, they're doing the same uh, call accuracy assessment that we're doing, uh, the officials most importantly, are getting feedback on how they can improve uh, their craft. So four to five days a week all over the country, and by April, I'm just ready to take a nap. That's the bottom line. <laughs> well, J.D., what's the situation with the younger officials? Are there enough high school officials to go around? And, and, and you know, you need high school officials to be promoted to college officials, I would guess. Well, it's very interesting you bring that up, Lauren, because uh, relative to high school officials, in all sports, quite frankly, there is a major shortage of officials. Our average age of high school officials in all sports in the state of Indiana is 53 years old, and that used to be 43. And there is a shortage, and it, it is going to impact games not being played. And so we have, you know, in an arena we have 10,000 people, and many of them believe that they're, they know exactly – uh, how to officiate the game, and I, honestly, I'm begging them, come, come learn how to be an official. We need them at the high school level. Now, that said, at the Division I level, right now we have more um, talented, less experienced officials available to us at the Division I level than any time uh, in my 30 years of, of being involved in college basketball. So I, at the top level, I'm not overly concerned about a shortage we have a gluttony of really good young officials and we just need to give them an opportunity but certainly at the high school level and below uh we need as many as we possibly can in fact lauren do you, do you 
would you be willing to put the stripes on? And <laughs> Absolutely. At, at 88, I'd really be good, wouldn't I? <laughs> I can't see and I can't run, but <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I wonder about, um, would you ever see uh, high schools going back to two officials? Would you, I mean. You know, it, it is possible because of the shortage. Uh, it would be unfortunate because I think we've, we, in, in, certainly in basketball, we've figured out that three officials allows for better insights into the game and we can see more and we can get the calls and it, it, it's the right thing to do. But if the choice is go two-man or don't have the game, I think they're going to go two, two-person officiating and uh, um, we just need more officials, bottom line. Hey, J.D., good stuff. Maybe uh, we could catch back up with you maybe midway through the season. Maybe get a better feel when you got a bigger sample size on how some of these changes might be working. Would that work for you? I'd be happy to do that. I wish you wish you both the best and uh, have a, have a great season, guys. Okay, Thank thanks, you. JD. That's JD Collins, NCAA National Coordinator of Basketball Officials, nine thirty-two WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Alani Pella, Saturday Sports Talk. We'll talk more about that Illinois win at Grand Canyon last night, 83-71 to win. When we come back after this, stay with us. Welcome back, everybody, to Alani Fellows Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Good morning, Mr. Dion Thomas. This is your friendly wake-up call from <laughs> East Lansing and Champaign. Are you up? How are you doing? I, I have been up and going for at least the last couple of hours, but thank you. I'm actually having breakfast with my mother. My mother's been living here in Arizona oh, for the last 20 years, actually. Well, that's great. We'll take a few minutes of your time. Hope she doesn't mind, but uh, you were there last night. You saw the Illini fight through a pretty good uh, home crowd uh, opposition there and come away with a win. Your general thoughts about uh, what you saw and now that you've had a few hours to think about it. Well, you know, general, it, it, you can tell that the team is is new. They're still learning and figuring out who they're who they are and and, and what they're going to be uh, moving forward. But you have to be impressed by a couple of the things that you saw. Um, Kofi looks like exactly what people thought he was going to be, and I mean, and this is early on. The big fella is not playing at like a freshman. He's playing with a lot of uh, with great pace with you know, he looks extremely calm when he's out there on the floor. He's making the right passes. He's finishing strong and posting up, you know, strong inside the paint, which is what you want from someone, especially with his ability. And then you see the reemergence of uh, Andres uh, Felix, of Andres uh, Felix. And those are two of the things last night that really stood out and the way Illinois dominated on the glass. I see that coach has put an emphasis on that, and the guys are, are going right behind him and following and listening to what they had to say. I mean, any time a shot went up last night, you had four guys in the paint rebounding the basketball. And when you have rebounding guards like Felice and, and DeMonte that can go in there and stick their nose in there, you're going to get some, a lot of positive results. And one of the other things that really stood out to me was the growth of Alec Griffin. I mean, last year, you could see him out on the court thinking. You could see he wasn't really comfortable. And now, I think, especially in last night's game, you can see an ease in his mind. You can see him not just thinking, but actually out there playing and executing. And he had a great game last night and shot it really well from the corner threes. Deion Thomas is with us. Your thoughts on, and now again, as a small sample size, just two games, 
But uh, your thoughts on uh, the start of the season for Io? Well, you know, Io's going to come on. Uh, this is one of those areas, and, and I think he played so well last year that people forget he's a sophomore. I mean, he's still a young player. He's still developing not just physically. He's not developing just his game. He's developing mentally as a, as a player as well. One of the key things, I think, with, with Io is he has to understand, and he will, that he's the hunted now. He's the guy that's on the top of everybody's scouting reports. He's the guy that is are being projected that's being projected to be a lottery pick or definitely first round player. So he's going to get everybody's best every night. He'll make the adjustments. We all know his maturity level. We all know his skill level. And now that he's added that 15 to 20 pounds of muscle, he'll definitely be able to pick it up from a physical standpoint as well. So he started off a little slow, but I'm definitely expecting him to come on. You know, hopefully starting Sunday. Dion, in your day, you played a lot with uh, you uh, coordinated with Shelley Clark up front. That was a kind of a one-two inside punch, and and uh, I'm just wondering if you see any comparisons between that and what we're having now with Georgie and Kofi. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest with you. Why I say no is because there's never been a player on our on our campus um, as big as Kofi. Uh, but I love the the impact. That and the ability of the two of those guys playing together. Uh, and that's the only reason I said no, simply because of Kofi size. But definitely the way they're playing together, you know, in the previous game against uh, Nichols, Georgie had, was able to knock down two threes. And if he can continue to do that this year and stretch that, um, that four position out to the three-point line, then that's going to really open up things for, for Kofi in the middle. And they did an excellent job at that last night. Again, you could see what their game plan was. They came out and executed that game plan, which was to get the ball inside the paint to Kofi or attack the paint off the dribble, and they were able to do that last night. But I tell you this, LT, I wish I was as big as Kofi, man. Well, I, didn't, I, man, I, I wasn't talking as much about the size as, as the fact of you working with Clark and the two of you had similar talent skills. I mean, you were a better jump shooter than he was, obviously. But uh, mm-hmm. still, both of you like to play inside. Well, I mean, I didn't like to play inside, LT. I was told I had to play inside. <laughs> you, know what, Coach, you, you know, Coach, I wanted to step out and shoot a few more threes, LT. He only allowed me to shoot a couple of them in my career. <laughs> well, I, I hope that, you know, this thing is uh, – the trick is now to keep those two guys in the ballgame. Last night they had nine fouls between them, and uh, Georgie fouled out in 17 minutes, so that's not good. I mean, uh, maybe that, maybe we're going to see a lot of times when there'll just be one of them in there and, and they'll be substituting for each other if the foul trouble is going to develop like that. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it, it looks going forward. And I say that because there were just a lot of fouls called last night, period. I mean, the referees called a lot of fouls on both teams. I mean, in the first half, uh, the Antelopes had several players that had two, three fouls, and that just carried over into the second half. A lot of those fouls that, you know, just me watching from the sideline, I didn't think were – I didn't think they should have been called because it threw off the flow of the game at times. So we'll see, and I think it's going to depend on the the refereeing crew as to how they're going to be able to play. So those are some adjustments that will have to be made in-game, depending on the refereeing crew that's in there. And if we can keep them on the the floor at the same time, 
this Illinois team is going to be really difficult to beat. Another couple of minutes with uh, Dion Thomas working the radio side of things. Scott Beatty filling in on the play-by-play for Brian Barthart, who is with Ed Bond and I here in uh, East Lansing, Michigan, getting set for this football game this afternoon. Now, Illinois goes uh, to Tucson to take on a better team yet in Arizona. Tell me what you've learned about the Wildcats. They've only played one game. They had a, an easy win over Northern Arizona, but your thoughts about that matchup? Well, I mean, this is definitely going to be a, a horse of a different color for us. Uh, this Arizona team is long. They're big. They're athletic. They, they have some depth, and they have a really good freshman in Njai. So it's going to be interesting because this will be a different contest for uh, Kofi because these kids will be able to match him in size. Njai is not just long and athletic, but he moves extremely well as also. So and it's going to be a great matchup in size. And as long as we can deal with their length on the outside with their guards, then I think we'll have a, a – it's going to be a very competitive game. But I think if we can deal with their length on the outside and their length on the inside and be able to keep Georgie and Kofi and have Benjamin Verdunk come on, I think we have a really good chance of winning this game. But it's going to take a lot of work because that Arizona team is really good. Let's go uh, to the phones real quick. Steve in Princeton, question for Dion Thomas. Go ahead, Steve. Well, it's not really a question. I just want to commend Dion. He is one of the most articulate, polite gentlemen that I've heard on the radio in decades. I mean, his enunciation is perfect, and I just love listening to him when he does a broadcast, whether it's on TV or radio. But I just want him to know how much uh, he represents the University of Illinois and what a gentleman he is. Oh, Steve, thank you so much. Um, I I truly appreciate that. And and I'll tell you this, this this comes from my mother. (laughs) My mother never allowed us to speak improper English. And, you know, growing up on the west side of Chicago and not speaking improper English, I got into a lot of fights, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Steve, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Uh, Dion, speaking of your mother, we'll let you get back to your breakfast with her. We'll be listening uh, come tomorrow night for the ball game. Appreciate uh, you taking time with us this morning. Oh, anytime. You guys need me, you know I'm here. Go line night. Thanks, Dion. Dion Thomas with us from Arizona, 945 on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. I'd like to tell you a minute about Pella Lifestyle Series. It's a series created by the folks at Pella Windows. They are wood windows and patio doors to provide outstanding sound control and energy efficiency all at a very good value. Most styles are available with triple pane glass, which can improve energy conservation. The Pella Lifestyle Series is a leader in energy efficiency. Plus, you can personalize solutions for each room in your home with available product uh, packages. With the uh, Pella Lifestyle Series, you can choose the features that fit your project's unique style. And with many colors, finishes, and grill pattern options, You'll find Lifestyle Series windows and patio doors to complement your home and your budget. The Pella Lifestyle Series windows and doors are designed to last for several years, finished with their exclusive EnduraGuard wood protection and EnduraClad aluminum-clad exterior. Want to know more about this? Give them a call, 356-6474 in Champaign for the Pella Window Store. They're located at 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. Or you can check out the Pella Lifestyle Series online at PellaOfChampagne.com. We'll take a break and be back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this.
1247 Illini Fellows Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. I'm at Spartan Stadium in East Lansing, Michigan, where the Illini take on the Michigan State Spartans this afternoon. 235 Central Time kick. They've got the tarp all the way off the field now, Lauren, and getting set for this ballgame. Field looks in great shape. Kind of a strange schedule for the Spartans. They've lost three straight games, all to teams that were at the time in the uh, top 10 but they've had two bye weeks in the last three weeks. A little bit unusual in that part. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Um, having a little trouble reaching Jack Ebling. I'm sorry, I got dis disconcerted there. Um, uh, you were talking about the field? I was talking about their schedule, actually. Oh, I'm they've, sorry. They've okay. lost three straight, and they've had two bye weeks in the last three weeks. Well, they should be ready to play a football game, but they're, you know, they've had problems and they've lost a key receiver, they've lost their center, they've lost their, uh, a top linebacker, and plus the fact they've lost three games. Even though two top teams, uh, those three losses have created a concern among the fandom there, and been a lot of talk about D'Antonio maybe uh, calling it a, you know, calling it a, a career after this season. I don't know. I don't think he's going to be fired or anything like that, but. I think he's going to have to shake up his staff, and he did shake up his staff last, uh, you know, in this past year, kept the same people but moved them around in different positions. So maybe we can talk to Jack Ebeling about that. Uh, D'Antonio in his 13th year as head coach here in East Lansing, 111 and 55 is his record. Those three straight losses at number four, Ohio State, 34 to 10, at number eight at the time, Wisconsin. 38 to nothing, and then uh, to uh, sixth-ranked Penn State, 28 to seven was the final there. They were off last week, and they play Michigan next week. So you got to kind of wonder what they're thinking going into this ball game. But as you said, they should be well rested and ready to go. Uh, I think we got Jack Abling on. Jack, are you there? I am. How are you doing, gentlemen? <laughs> Very good. Well, tell us uh, tell us about this team. We've been kind of raising some questions as to where the, the Spartans are right now. What do you think? <laughs> well, I think we're going to find out a lot today. Uh, I don't know many teams in the country that could have beaten uh, Ohio State, Wisconsin, uh, Penn State, only the Illini, I guess. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, that That's a problem yeah. when you place that schedule that way. Yeah, but yeah, before that, um, they scored 40 points against Indiana and 31 at Northwestern. Mm -hmm. Northwestern's uh, defense is pretty decent. The offense is terrible. But uh, for Michigan State, to be outscored 100-17 to 17 in a month, it's not the losses, it's the way the loss looked. And Michigan State has a lot of work to do in a lot of ways. What's the status of the team uh, in, in terms of injury? It's terrible. <laughs> um, and it's not getting any better, actually. They're getting more injuries. Uh, uh, they're without Joe Bocci Jr., uh, their linebacker, who is ineligible now. So that's, that's a big loss as well. But they, they have lost. Uh, they're going to have close to 100 games lost due to injury, and last year we thought that was a Big Ten record. They had uh, 83 games by starters lost, so you compare that to two years ago where they only had eight yeah. games lost all year. Makes a big difference. 
Yeah, I, I, I noticed uh, if you go back and look at D'Antonio in the last four, five, six, seven years, the years yeah. where the years that he's been down have been directly related to. In fact, you told me that one year when when he went three and nine, I believe, uh, yeah. that was all about not just injuries, but guys leaving for one reason or another, or ineligibility, or transfers, or just it was, it was an incredible the number you were basically playing with your reserve unit by the end of the season. Well, they haven't been able to get a lot of transfers from USC. That's what they need. <laughs> they need to get uh, go in and, and use the portal that way and do some other things. But uh, you can look at all the seasons. You know, Michigan State was 40-5 and five in a 45-game span from the regular season finale in 2012 uh, to the second game of 2016, 40-5. And people here thought that was the norm. <laughs> And uh, as you know, that's not going to be the norm for any team except maybe Ohio State. We're visiting with Jack Ebling from The Drive in East Lansing, Michigan, on uh, uh, Michigan State football and basketball. We'll get over to basketball in a moment. But speaking of Mark uh, D'Antonio in his 13th year, is this uh, – what do you think he wants to do? Is this, uh, has this been uh, his last job, do you think, or has he got uh, more challenges in him? What do you think? Well, I definitely think this is his last job, but I don't think that this is his last year. Right. And a lot of people might be thinking it could be or hoping it would be, but I think he's going to make some changes. Uh, it's been difficult for him, but he's been exceedingly loyal to his staff. He's got a lot of guys who've been there nine years, 13 years. He's got people who've been with him since he was at Cincinnati. So... Maybe he needs to shake some things up. He did switch responsibilities for uh, his coaches, all of his offensive coaches, uh, during the offseason. But he thought that would change it, getting a new voice in the position rooms. And, uh, really hasn't done much. I, I don't think that this is as much a staffing problem as it is a talent problem. Uh, I look at this team and the receivers having a tough time separating. Uh, they've given up a lot of big plays, many more than they did a year ago. Uh, so I think that this is a, a situation where they're just not good enough athletically to play with teams like Ohio State, uh, Wisconsin, and Penn State. And you could see it out on the field. It's it's not like they're a play away. I mean, they're Ten plays away from being ten plays away. So. <laughs> Yet they're still in position uh, to pick up a couple of more wins, perhaps and get bowl eligible. But uh, they got a big one next week. I'm, I'm sure they're not. Uh, at least they're saying they're not looking ahead to that. But the numbers are the numbers. Yeah. They need two more wins to get to six. Well, and uh, Antonio alluded to this, uh, <laughs> and it didn't go over very well. He said, "You know, uh, uh, hey, we're four and four. We're not." two and seven, but people in Michigan State right now, they don't want to be bowl eligible. They think <laughs> uh, they should be playing in Indianapolis, which they have three times in this decade. And, you know, there's seven teams in the Big Ten that have been to Indy and seven that haven't. That might change this year if Minnesota becomes the eighth, but uh, Michigan State doesn't see itself the way it did few years ago when a winning season would have been nice you know you win eight games and people celebrate and 
You know, there are programs in the Big Ten right now that would love to be 8-4 and, and would say, okay, 7-5, and five, and then we'll go to a bowl game. And th- That's considered to be a big disappointment around here now. So he has raised the bar uh, very high after back-to-back-to-back 13-11-12 uh, win season. Jack, tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, when, when Michigan State's had some really great teams over these recent years, really strong, and it looked to me like the defensively they were always great, and they would seem like they would just kind of pack it in and play man to man, and they were really good on the corner on their man coverage was just super. If you don't have that, you've got a problem, right. don't you? You do. You absolutely do, Lauren. And the defense they play is predicated on being able to play uh, press quarters. Uh, they call it, and uh-huh. it's four guys who can man up and take their people wherever they're going to go, and uh, that gives the the front a chance to do some other things. If you don't have that, then you've got to make some adjustments. And that's been a problem all year. They started off phenomenal. Uh, Minus 73 yards rushing in the opener, but that was Tulsa. Uh, Tulsa had a big win last night, but otherwise really hasn't done much. Uh, Other than that, uh, they've had big plays against them every game. And you know, they played Ohio State. You could see the difference in athletes. They'd play well for a quarter, play well for a half, and then they'd give up two big plays, and suddenly, you know, they're down 14, and things spiral from there. Their offensive line has been a mess, and uh, it's a bad time to have uh, a position group like that because I know Illinois can, can put pressure on the passer and loves to take the ball away. Uh, uh, Michigan State has not won the turnover battle the way it thought it would after the opener. And when you've got a four-string left tackle playing, uh, you've had your starter uh, miss the whole year. You've had your second-team left tackle miss all but two games. Then you bring your best lineman, who's a right guard, over to left tackle, and he promptly gets hurt. you know, there just aren't very many Big Ten teams that can play against top ten opponents with a four-string left tackle. And the last three teams they played were 22-2. and two. So, uh, and one of those two losses was you know, teams played each other. So someone had to lose <laughs> that Ohio State-Wisconsin game. But uh, other than that, those three teams have only lost one game, and you watch that. So, um uh, Hey, who, who won that other game against Wisconsin? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> guys in, in, in orange, right? Yeah. Hey, by the way, Jack, before I, we let I you go. I still can't believe it. <laughs> I, I got to ask you, are you going to have a basketball team up in East Lansing this year? Oh, I, I think they're going to field one. Yeah. Uh, I think they are. And, uh, hey, there's a lot of uh, interest around here in uh, the Illini. Since Illinois has done so well against Michigan State, uh, that's a uh, that is a, a team that Michigan State certainly respects. But I think a lot of people here would be very disappointed if Michigan State isn't back in the Final Four. Hey Jack, we appreciate your time, and I guess Tom Izzo has his team right where he wants them. Right, they were number one in the country. They lost in the season opener, so he's got a lot of uh, motivational and teaching. Uh, moments ahead well yeah i think back to last year at the champion classic 
and uh, Duke beat Kentucky by close to 40 points, and Kansas beat Michigan State. And by the end of the year, Kentucky was as good as uh, Duke, and Michigan State was the only one of the four that made it to the Final Four. So Izzo's happy with what he has. Again, uh, he's got guys injured, so he'd love to have Joshua Langford back, and that might happen in January. Hey, Jack, appreciate your time, as always. Thank you. Hey, Jack, thanks for the pro quid quo. Take care. So, yeah. you. You, you have to explain that, Lauren. <laughs> well, I was on his show, and I, I said, uh, I'll come on your show if you come on my show. And he said, that's okay if you don't impeach impeach me. <laughs> <laughs> 10 o'clock, WDWS Champaign-Urbana, hour number one of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk is in the books. We'll kick it off with hour number two. Be happy to have you join us. 356-9397 is the number. We're back with more after this. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Hour number two underway. In that first hour, we talked Illinois basketball. The Illini win on the road last night late in uh, Arizona, beating Grand Canyon 83-71. We can talk more about that as we move along as well. Football today, the Illini in East Lansing to take on the Michigan State Spartans. 2.35 Central Time is the kick. The big game on the schedule, at least uh, one of the early games, a battle of two undefeated teams. Penn State plays at Minnesota a noon uh, Eastern time, actually, that game's in Minnesota, so it's a central time start at 11 o'clock. And on the line with us now, covering that ball game, is David Jones from PennLive.com, longtime uh, uh, person involved with uh, Penn State Athletics, covering them. David, good morning. How are you doing? I, I think I'd qualify as a longtime person involved. <laughs> <laughs> Is that okay with you, Lauren? No, well, you're just a kid. You're yeah, just yeah. a kid, David. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm used to working with the longtime people. In, uh, <laughs> in Lauren Tate, who just I'm had a long birthday time last person. week. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, get, size up that game for us. Uh, Penn State going in about a six-point favorite in the, to Minneapolis. Yeah, we don't really know what we're working with completely because Minnesota hasn't played anybody. And um, I think it's pretty clear they're getting better. But uh, they played three group of five teams in the non-con and were life and death with all of them. I think they're better than that now. Uh, but the fact remains they've played in the Big Ten five of, you know, arguably maybe the five worst teams in the Big Ten. What do you think? Purdue, Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, Maryland. Well, we'll that's, let that's you know right, after a day right if we beat there. Michigan State. <laughs> It's right there. You know, they're all in the conversation for the bottom five. So I, I, I just in watching Minnesota, I've watched a lot of them. I think their skill players on offense are really, really good. And you don't have to be playing anyone particularly great to see how good they are. I think their wideouts, Rashad Bateman especially, and Tyler Johnson are terrific. And Chris, Chris Ottman-Bell, they've got three sophomores, and Tyler Johnson's a senior, and they can all – get open they all can go get it in the open field and they can win 50 50 balls and i think they're a problem for penn state's defensive backs 
Um, but if Penn State's front gets a rush on Tanner Morgan, their quarterback, he's a little bit smallish, and um, he could have trouble. So I think Minnesota's game plan will be to get the ball out quick. That's what they do anyway. Um, try to run on the edges, outside zone stuff, and see if they can just score 20, 24 points. That might be enough in this game. Uh, David, uh, are you clear on what Minnesota has to do to not win the Western Division? Well, they got to – I think it's all on Iowa today. I mean, I think if Iowa wins today, they 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 could. I still think they can win this division um, because they get Minnesota later on. Right. They get them next week, and you know I think that Iowa Wisconsin game in Iowa City is huge. I think Iowa has the inside track. That's my own opinion because I think Iowa is better than Minnesota, but we'll see. I think Iowa's better than Minnesota, but if Wisconsin beats Iowa, then what? Well, then then it's over. It's yeah. over. It all depends on today, like I said. Yeah. Iowa's got to beat Wisconsin. They're both off a bye. Iowa can beat Wisconsin because I think Wisconsin's got to be a little depressed. I mean, they had that upset there with your guys that was not supposed to happen, and then they go into Columbus and get their brains beat in. And, yeah. and if the best, their best case is if they – get all the way to Indianapolis. They just got to play those guys again, very probably. <laughs> you know, that can't be very – that's got to be unsettling. I, 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 I would think I was a little more upbeat for that game, playing at home. Okay. Um, you're, haven't, you're, beaten them, haven't, haven't beaten them often, so I, I think I was going to be ready to play that game. Okay, you're covering Penn State. Do you think it's fair that Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, and let's say an Ohio State are all in the same division? Should the divisions be in some way changed – to make it more balanced, I, Lauren, I always thought it should be some sort of lakes and plains thing, and then you put Ohio State in the Southwest, whatever you want to call it, the Plains Division, and another division around the lakes with Penn State and Michigan in that. Then you're okay. I think Michigan State's probably on a little bit of a downturn. I think they might have hit their apex with Dan D'Antonio, and then I think you've got a, a fairly even divisions the problem there is they don't want ohio state and michigan playing twice i suppose right. back to back could happen yeah but but you know you're always going to have a caveat i think those are more equitable divisions but they retain the geographic feel which i think is important you want the divisions to not like each other you want them to be from different kind of geographic footprints and lakes and plains does that we're visiting with david jones your thoughts on penn state uh, being the fourth team in the uh, first round of the playoff voting? That's, it doesn't matter now. <laughs> uh, I, I think they've got an outside shot of actually making it into the playoff with one loss as long as they win this game in any way, shape, or form, and then are very competitive in Columbus. Then if they win out, they won't be playing in Indianapolis, so that won't be a factor. They can't lose there. On, on the one hand, it's, it's less risk but it's also less reward because you can't be rewarded for being active in the, in the final week of the season when everyone else is. Um, it, it, they would have to need help from Clemson. I think Clemson would have to somehow lose to South Carolina or uh, lose to Wake Forest, something like that, which probably isn't going to happen. They would need that to happen for Penn State to get in the playoffs uh, if they don't win in Columbus. Otherwise, they've got to win in Columbus. 
what are the strengths of this Penn State team? You mentioned they, they really their schedule hasn't been tough, but what are, what are some of the things they do well? Um, their quarterback has played very well, Sean Clifford. They're, I think they need an, an extra wideout. They need the big wideout like Tyler Johnson. They need that guy that they haven't really – that really hasn't happened for him yet. They've got K.J. Handler, a very, very quick – sort of a Rondale Moore um, type of receiver who's electric. And they've got a good tight end in Pat Fryermuth. They can get the ball to those guys. Clifford does not make many mistakes. Uh, he's got a really good TD interception ratio to reflect that. Their um, running backs are good, but I do not think their best running back, Noah Kane, is going to play today. I don't think he's going to go. Uh, he got hurt in the uh, prior game at Michigan State, and he's got an ankle injury, and I'll be surprised if he goes. He could. He's, he's here, but I don't think he's going to go. I think he's the best back. They play four. So now they'll play three. They're deep there. But the best part of Penn State's team is their defensive front. Um, and they're missing a guy. They're missing Antonio Shelton, who's a, a very good nose tackle type of player. And that's going to hurt them. It's, uh, they're deep on the defensive front, but that still hurts. Uh, they've got a couple of really good rush ends who I think are going to give Minnesota problems with their tackles. Minnesota's kind of got some big, slow offensive tackles, not really one of the strong points in their team. And if Penn State can get pressure on Tanner Morgan, that's going to mean a lot. But Minnesota gets the ball out quick. That's what they do. Um, they are not, they're, they're not designed to sit back there in long drops and fire the ball over the field, even though they've got those wideouts. They hit quick pops. They attack the flanks. That's what they do. So it'll be, it'll be a little bit tough to get pressure on Morgan. Um, they're going to have to keep him busy, though. David, I always like to hear you expound on issues. Uh, transfers, play for pay, take your choice. Which of those two would you like to expound on? I've always been in favor of pay for play. Um, I think it's absurd that players can be at risk. Um, I don't know if you you know, my, my nephew is the quarterback at Maryland, Josh Jackson, and um, – you know, you get a close-up look on how much abuse these guys get, how much they got hurt in the head. These these kids have nothing. They have a lasting sort of injury um, that that lasts beyond their college. They have no no insurance, no no nothing to, to handle that. At the very least, they should be able to get endorsement contracts, just like any other employee. Because I maintain they are employees. No matter what anyone wants to call them, they are employees of these universities because these are multi-million dollar businesses. You cannot have a multi-million dollar business with the product not being called an employee. I mean, otherwise they're slaves, are they not? And I don't care how many people have a problem with calling them that. If you don't pay them, that's what they are. You, you have to give them the opportunity to make endorsement deals. That's all that, that I think this is about, and it's, it's fine. I'm, I'm very, very much in favor of it. You see it happening by January in 2021? Absolutely. Well, 23. Well, uh, that's, that's, now, that's, the, the, the committee gave, has had the, uh, 23 was the year from Cal, that the California rule, but the NCA, when their uh, committee met, they, they said they wanted to get something done by, the, by January uh, 2021, which is just a year from now, basically. 
Lauren, how many times have NCA committees said something that well, they wanted to do? I understand. I mean, I understand. that's why we're here. That's why we're here where we are. So I'll just say that they're going to even out the landscape by 2023. And if they do it by then, that'll be a lot quicker than they've ever done anything. They're basically worthless lives. Those people <laughs> have been running. Those people have been running a cartel all this time. It's it's it's. <laughs> you know, it's inexcusable. So as long as they get it done, I don't care. This is, this is America where you should be able to, to have an endorsement deal if you want. And uh, there's no one should be able to, to prevent you from doing that. Well, the next time we call you, I hope you have some opinions about a few things, okay? <laughs> you put it out there. <laughs> what, about the, what about the transfer situation? Are you okay with the way that's gone? Do you, do you, do you think it needs tweaking of any kind oh you know you know every time coaches have every time these guys who are making three and four million dollars a year have a problem they whine and bitch and complain you know they're gonna have to deal with it that's the way i feel i i think transfers you know it's chaotic it's 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 sort of it, it's it's not pleasurable for the fans at some point but what if you've got to think of it as what if it was your kid what if it, it was your kid who goes someplace and then the coaching staff changes or the people they thought were going to be there aren't there anymore and they're beholden to their contract, but the coaches on the staff, they're not? How does that work? How does that work? Well, I think you're going to see I, I the transfer thing. I think that transfer thing is going to open wide open. Right now, if a coach moves, a player can move with a certainty that the waiver will be approved. So that part of it is okay on, on the coaching change. Uh, it's also if coaches you, can move anytime they want, and right. so should players be able to. Period. Well, as of now, for the first time, if a coach moves, a player can move, can transfer. I don't mean conditionally to the coach. I mean anytime they want. Period. Sure. Okay. But anyway, I think I think what you're going to have is is a resolution of both these issues within the next couple of years, to the to the benefit of the athlete. That's what I think. Well, they don't have any choice, Lauren, because right. the NCAA is losing control. They have really lost control. They granted autonomy to the Power Five to really run football five years ago, and they're seeing the last vestige. Uh, you're never going to see anything like that. Chase Young again, I don't think. I mean, this is going to be the last vestige of, of people trying to control somebody for getting paid. Uh, it ain't going to happen again. I mean, uh, I don't know how long they're going to be able to keep this enforced. Uh, people, players should be able to take money from agents whenever the hell they want. I don't know who this guy is, whether he's just a family friend. But even if he wasn't, so what? If you're valuable, you should be able to exploit your value. And I see guys walking around in suits who are basically caddies in athletic departments, layers and layers of athletic department uh, toadies who don't do any, you, you, you can't even figure out what they do. And they get paid two, three, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 a year. Why? Well, that's where the money's going. I'm, I'm fine with it going to players, however they want to slice it up. Hey, David, appreciate uh, your time. Uh, we'll let you get back to work. Enjoy that ball game at Penn State at Minnesota today. Thank you. Thanks, David. Okay. Looking forward to basketball season, guys. Yeah, we'll see you there. See ya. David Jones with uh, PennLive.com. It is 10-18. We'll be back. We'll have the uh, phone lines open, a little bit of an open line segment 
coming up. Stay with us on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk rolls on and the sun has popped out here in East Lansing at Spartan Stadium. Of course, we're four hours away from the start of this game. No telling what it's going to be like then, but uh, no precipitation other than some possible snow flurries in the forecast. 33 degrees right now in East Lansing. High school football playoffs into round two, and there's about 10 area teams still alive. In 1A, Fisher plays today at Central A&M. Arcola entertains Greenfield Northwestern at one o'clock. Argena Oriana is at home to Carrollton. In 2A, Bismarck Henning Rossville Alvin plays at one o'clock against Nashville. Watsika is at Knoxville at one o'clock. Oakwood plays at Pena at one. Tuscola on the road at Decatur St. Teresa at two o'clock. Defending 2A state champion Gibson City Melvin Sibley plays at Sterling Newman at six o'clock in 2A. In uh, class 3A today, Paxton Buckley Loda is at Farmington in a five o'clock game. And in 4A, Unity plays at Kankakee Bishop McNamara today. So Lawrence, some teams uh, trying to move into the uh, quarterfinals with wins today. Yeah, and you know, it's it's so hard to follow these uh, games because they're playing teams, our teams from our area are playing teams that we don't know anything about. I, you know, I, I think that's true. Uh, certainly it was through the first round as well. And uh, used to be, uh, Steve, when, when, when the playoffs started, that you'd be playing somebody nearby. Right. But not anymore. It's, it's based all on the, on the pairings, and that's the way it is. There'll be complete coverage of the area teams and how they do today in tomorrow's News Gazette. Matt Daniels uh, on this road trip. He's up here with uh, Bob Osmussen to cover this game, and he's got folks out and about covering the high school games as well. In the uh, first hour of the show, we talked about uh, the Illini basketball win last night on the road at Grand Canyon, 83-71. If you have any comments on that, give us a call, 356-9397. If you uh, have any thoughts on what you've seen through the first two ball games of this Illinois basketball team, they're 2-0, had to go overtime in the home opener, and they beat a, uh, uh, a Grand Canyon team last night on their home floor by 12. Well, I think that uh, this is a good, this is the first game that they've played somebody that's probably superior in talent-wise, and, right. and certainly got up and down the, the the line. They're just so quick and so agile, and they're so and they're tall inside. This will be a new test for Kofi. I don't think Kofi's been up against anybody in either of the first two games that has been in any way competitive with him inside. Uh, Lever's a good player. But he's a, as you saw, he's a three-point shooter, and he not—he wasn't very good defensively. He fouled out pretty—he fouled out in the ball game and and didn't play the whole game. And they just didn't have anybody could could bang with Kofi inside. I think you'll see. Now look, the Arizona players aren't that heavy, but they're really quick jumpers, and and so this will be another test. This will be another kind of a test for Illinois that they haven't faced before. Steve, I got something I want to read to you. Okay. Uh, because it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a special guy who got in a lot of trouble. Gene Squeaky Melchori was the greatest basketball player in Bradley history, one of the greatest players in the state of all time. He was a number one draft pick. This is back in 1950. He died at the age of 92 last month. And he took Bradley to both the NCAA and the NIT 
tournament finals, both of them, both of those tournaments. But he was charged with, along with several of his teammates, with a point-shaving scandal. And for years uh, over in Peoria at Bradley, they've been trying to, you know, to maybe put him in a Hall of Fame or, or put his name up uh, on in the in the gym or what, but but they've always failed because of what he did. I mean, it's a terrible thing that he did, and and some of his teammates never spoke to him again. But the, of course, he wasn't losing games. He was so good, and they weren't losing games. They were just shaving the points in order to make money, which is of course absolutely illegal. And there was a big scandal in that period. But I saw him play once, Steve, and I'll never forget how quick he was. He was. A, there was nobody close on the floor, and he would he would actually post up at five feet eight. He would post up, and if you got the ball to him on the post, you could not stop him. There was no way to stop. He just spin one way or the other, and he just had that knack. Against Western Kentucky, I, they said he he fouled out three centers in one game. <laughs> and anyway, it's a it's a it's a quite a story because it's been a controversy in Peoria for all these years. And uh, he did pass away at the age of 92. And, uh, you know, it's just one of the sad, uh, sad periods of, of basketball in that uh, Bradley and, and uh, CCNY and New York uh, were involved in, with great teams were involved in, in cheating and, and, points, and point, uh, point spread, uh, uh, point shaving. Right. That's, the, that's all I had to say. I just want to bring it up. That's fine. And back in those those days, back in, in the 1950 era, you could play in the NCAA tournament and the NIT tournament in the same year. That's right. That's you right. Win, conceivably, you could win them both. And, Steve, I knew one of the cheaters. Uh, his name was Roth. I knew him at Fort Monmouth. Actually, I didn't know him. Uh, he was there. I was there. You know, he didn't. But he was on the basketball team at Fort Monmouth because he could not play in the NBA and he could not you know he couldn't play anywhere other than in the military that was the only place he could play so he and a, a big fellow a teammate by the name of Lane were when I was at Fort Monmouth they were there and it's just uh, that's a that's an old story I, I I don't know if it, we'll ever see that again but uh, every, I know that uh, commissioners have done everything possible to try to keep uh, gamblers away from uh, from basketball, and now we're, we're, we're entering an era where uh, betting on games, betting on college games is going to be big again, and, you know, you just hope the players don't get involved. Right. It is 10.28. We'll take a break here as we approach the uh, bottom of uh, the hour and be back with more. We've got 30 minutes left. Feel free to join us. 356-9397 is the number. On the line, I fellow Saturday Sports Talk. Back after this. It is 1031 on this Saturday morning with Lauren Tate, who's in Champaign. I'm Steve Kelly at Spartan Stadium, East Lansing, Michigan. Activity picking up a little bit here, but uh, this game doesn't kick till 235 Central Time against the Michigan State Spartans at 4-4 four and four on the season. The Illini 5-4 and four trying to get that sixth win and become bowl eligible on a three-game winning streak. Michigan State on a three-game losing streak. So there's some things up for grabs, certainly, uh, in, the, in the perfect world. You want to win every game, Lauren. But uh, if you could get knock out that sixth win, and then you take your chances going to Iowa and then have a Northwestern at home. But it would be nice to have that uh, nailed down ahead of time, if possible. 
Well, nothing's impossible from this point based on what we see among these teams. I, I think these, all these games are going to be close. I, I, I mentioned before that, uh, you know, that Michigan State's not a high-scoring team. Iowa's not a high-scoring team. Northwestern certainly not. So uh, you expect close games, close, low-scoring games probably, and, and you've always got a chance in those. I, the thing I question or wonder, can Illinois continue to take advantage of all these turnovers, which uh, we, we've seen them do, uh, it's kind of it's uncommon to have such a a margin on turnovers. I I was going to read this uh, to you. You've probably already seen it, but this is game ten, and Illinois is first in the nation in defensive touchdowns with five, first in the nation in turnovers gained twenty-two, first in the nation in forced fumbles seventeen, first in the nation's in fumble recoveries fifteen, second in the nation in points off turnovers, fourth in the nation in turnover margin. I mean, those are really sensational numbers and they go to the heart of illinois recent success i think uh, yeah. so yeah. can you do that steve again i mean can you continue that uh, to be number one in the country in all those areas uh can they get some turnovers today against a, a michigan state team that's going to be try to uh, try to run the ball and they're going to be all about ball security as best they can i mean if i'm playing illinois that's the first thing i'm going to talk about as coach aren't you Sure, and that those turnover numbers and all those defensive stats have uh, made the turn in the season. It's not from the last season when they were really, really bad. They didn't start this season all that well, and then uh, just in this three-game winning streak, they turned things around. Let's uh, go to the phones real quick. Allen and Montrose, hey, Allen, what's on your mind? Ring. Hello. Uh, go ahead, Allen. I just need one. Alan, you're on there. Oh, oh sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, I hope we get that win today. Uh, you guys uh, seem to be a little bit concerned about Iowa, but I'm uh, a lot more concerned about Trent Frazier. He hasn't played really good since, well, really last season. The end of last season, he faded away, too. He he seems lost out there. Oh, I don't know. I don't think he seems lost. I, I, I just don't think he has the potential to be a great player that – that Io has, I mean, uh, Io's a little better on the drive, and he, and you know he's he's a little better uh, ball handler, I think. But uh, I I think that uh, for me, uh, Fraser's doing about what I expected him to do. I, well, I think uh, Lee's without a doubt. Fraser right now is our best guard. Yeah, and he's playing like one. Uh, yeah, he's out playing in both. Heads and shoulders above. He uh, did a lot of that two. last year, too, at the end of the season. He was awfully good. Yes, he did. He was our best guard at the end of last season. He is now, too. Yeah. That's all I got, guys. Go get him today. All right. Okay, thanks, Alan. We appreciate the call. We're going to talk more Illinois basketball and Arizona basketball now as uh, Greg Hansen joins us from the Arizona Daily Star covering University of Arizona Athletics. Uh, good morning, Greg. How you doing? Hey, pretty good. How you guys doing? Is it cold back there? <laughs> well, I'm in East Lansing. This is Steve Kelly. I'm in East Lansing where it's 32. Lawrence in Champaign where it's probably about 32 as well. And I'm guessing it's not 32 where you are. Yeah, but we paid our dues to get to this. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about uh, uh, the University of Arizona's basketball team. I know there's only one game in the book so far, and they take on Illinois coming up tomorrow night. Is this a typical Arizona team, or is it too early to tell? Yeah, it is too early to tell, and um, 
I don't think it's a powerhouse team. They've got guys who have reputations, but um, we'll see. Um, they've got some holes as well. They've got many, many questions. Well, Greg, this is Lauren. Uh, they hey, see Lauren. they dropped off pretty sharply last season. Uh, it, do you see? Oh, yeah. uh, what was the reason for that? Was that was that in any way based on a lack of recruiting, based on investigations? I'll ask. Hundred percent. Oh, um, really? It was it was their worst year since 1983. Okay. Um, so, a long time ago, and it was. You know, they, they've had too many one-and-dones, and, and, and then when that FBI investigation came, they weren't able to immediately fill the holes for last year. And really remarkably, they went out and got two McDonald's All-Americans for this year's team, which I didn't think they could do anymore, given the cloud hanging over their head. And, um, you know, they, they, they'll be in the NCAA tournament, I'm pretty sure. Um, they've got players, but they're just not... They haven't played together, and a lot of them are, are brand new. Do you expect that they would be eligible for the NCAA tournament a year from now? If I had to bet on it, I would say no. Um, I think they're in the same ballpark with Kansas in that. Um, I think within the next three months or so, the NCAA will announce some accusations against Arizona, and then, um, of course, People think the NCAA is going to be uh, much harder on people now. I know I've read that and heard that many times about Kansas. And I'm eager to see what happens to Kansas because I think something similar would happen to Arizona. Um, so it's a big unknown. And in the meantime, you know, they still fill the arena every night thinking that it's 2005 again. So <laughs> it's kind of entertaining. 2005. What happened that year, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the most exciting games I've ever seen, though. I I think that the, that game was, of course, in Chicago and and um, or suburban Chicago, and and I remember the reporters leaving at the four-minute timeout to write their stories. We had to go across the street, remember, to write their you know yeah. to send. And the guys were all, of course, they did have a TV over there, so they did get to see the end of the game on TV, but they were leaving and, and with four minutes to go. And I was thinking, boy, 15 points down. If we just get it within, you know, down to single figures so, so it isn't embarrassing. <laughs> and the next thing I know, you know what happened. M most amazing comeback in Illinois history considering the importance of the game, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think I had the same thoughts as you. I looked at the guy from another guy from our newspaper and said, uh, and we're going to Final Four again, which seemed kind of routine for Arizona at the time. And now they haven't gone since 2001, so long time. What kind of uh, game do you expect tomorrow night between uh, the Illini and the Wildcats? I was doing some research on Illinois before they played uh, Nickel State, and I was thinking other than a home game against Gonzaga, it would be the best home game of the year until some Pac-12 games. And then I saw the score of Nickel State, and I'm not sure what to think. Um, was that just kind of a, an off night for Illinois? Well, Greg, they, they, uh, they had a 20-point lead, and, and uh, at the end of the uh -huh. game, uh, Nickel State went on a 16-0 run. <laughs> Illinois just froze up at the end of the game, and once they got it in the overtime, they were okay. But 16-0 uh, run will kill you. Yeah, I didn't. I should have read that. I didn't. 
because I was reading, uh, you know, it sounds like Illinois has got a definite chance at the NCAAs this year. So I was hoping that it would be a good game because Arizona's non-conference home schedules have been really, really bad under Sean Miller. And uh, to have Illinois and Gonzaga come in in the same year, I was really looking forward to it. You mentioned Sean Miller. Is he is he safe? I mean, is he is he going to survive this thing? You know, Book Richardson just got out of prison yeah. for three months, and they were together so long. You would have you. I mean, I would tend to think that Sean Miller would know what Brooke Richardson was doing, and yet uh, yep. did he? The president has, uh, who is the most powerful man in the city, is the president of the University of Arizona, and he is. He has publicly said several times he is fully behind Sean Miller, and um, so he must believe what Miller has told him, that he has nothing to do with it. And uh, it's been so long now, it's been two years since all this happened, that it's kind of like not on the top of your mind anymore what's going to happen to Sean Miller. So, I mean, Bill Self has a lot more equity than Sean Miller does. So, who knows? I spent I spent three hours with Book Richardson the week before he went to prison, and uh, I thought if the NCAA talked to him, uh, some really unpleasant things are going to happen here. We're visiting with uh, Greg Hansen from the Arizona Daily Star. Uh, this team that Illinois will see, give us a, a name or two of guys that Illini fans might want to be aware of who uh, will be effective in that game if Arizona is successful. As it turns out, their best player is a guy from Big Ten country, and that's um, Zeke Nagia, 6'9 freshman from uh, Hopkins High School in Minnesota. Um, he was absolutely dazzling in their game uh, the other night. And uh, you can tell, you guys know you watch a lot of Big Ten basketball. It took about three minutes to realize this guy is something special. Yep. And more so than their two McDonald's point guards, or their two McDonald's All-American guards. Um, so now the team goes through Zeke Nott, not Nico Mannion or Josh Green. And they've got some other good pieces. they got a transfer from Kentucky, Jamarl Baker, who's a good backup guard. And they've got a transfer from Duke, uh, Chase Jeter, their seven-foot center. He's, I don't think he's an NBA player, but he's a really good college player. And so they've got pieces. Um, Pac-12 is about as, you know, hasn't been that good for a long time, but it has about six really decent teams this year, and Arizona will be one of them. They'll be really hard to beat here. Um, so it should be a, a good, a fun season to watch. You know, uh, Greg, if, if Arizona goes through Najee and Illinois goes through Kofi, would, uh, and by the way, we call him Kofi uh, because his last name is Coburn. It's not Cockburn. It's Coburn. But we, it, okay. we we just deal with first name. We we've got Georgie, we got Io, and we got Kofi. Okay, they're all first names. Yeah. But uh, if if both teams go through, the, will they in any way nullify themselves uh, Sunday night? Do you think? That's a really good question. I bet I bet to some degree they they sure do. Um, Arizona's got some options after that. They've got a junior power forward named uh, Ira Lee, who's uh, who's really improved. He'll, he'll be a kind of guy that can help you get somewhere. And um, they've actually got a grad transfer from, of all places, Cornell, named Stone Gettings, 
who is another one of those guys you watch for five minutes and goes, what was this guy doing at Cornell? He's really good. Yeah. So they've, they've got eight or nine useful players. Um, the development of Nico Mannion as their point guard is the number one thing. And so far, he doesn't look like a one-and-done guy to me. That's Greg Hansen from the Arizona Daily Star. We uh, appreciate you maybe getting up early uh, for us this morning. Yeah. Thanks very much. You bet. Have a good time, you guys. Thanks. Hey, hey, Greg, thank you much. And uh, tell uh, tell my friend out there that we appreciate uh, that he's now your agent right. and your secretary, <laughs> but don't let him be your treasurer, okay? Don't let him get into your money. <laughs> I, I wish he was my golf coach. <laughs> Fred Hickle. Fred Hickle from Muhammad, yeah. Illinois. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, thanks a lot, thank, Greg. Thank, thank, you, thank you very much. Right. It is uh, moving up on 1045 here on Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk. We'll take a break and be back with more. We've still got time for your calls if you'd like to join us. 356-9397 is the number. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. We're back with more after this. 1047, Illini Fellows Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock. Then we're back with you. Our pregame football coverage begins at 1 o'clock. The uh, game kicks at 2.35. Could be a little bit after that. There's what uh, we call in the business a uh, five-minute possible slide. So it could uh, kick at 2.40, but we'll know that uh, well ahead of the scheduled time of 2.35 this afternoon. The Michigan State Spartans about a 14 and a half point favorite and we talked about this earlier in the week lauren uh, off the air i was a little surprised by that i was on the radio show yesterday morning with the uh, michigan state uh, network and they were surprised by that uh, differential in the point spread as well two touchdowns we don't get no respect steve that's what they say i mean whether you go back to the purdue game or you know, even the Wisconsin game, 30-point I mean, underdog, as, as I recall, 30 or 31 or 29 and a half, yeah. whatever it was. But, but you know, Michigan State, it's just hard to, it's hard to judge. They, they've been terrible against the really good teams, and they've killed the, the weak teams, Northwestern and Indiana. Now, Indiana is, is not a – Indiana's having a good season, and they only beat Indiana 40 to 31, but they did break out and score in that game, whereas in these last three games they only have 17 points in – in three entire games against Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Penn State. Earlier on, they had a game with Arizona State, and they lost 10-7, to which is another indication that offensively they aren't always in sync. Uh, and, they, you know, they don't have a great running game. Uh, they aren't going to have a 1,000-yard rusher or anything like that. And Lewerke has been a good quarterback, but not a great quarterback. He's only completed 56% of his passes, and... Um, you know, I, I, I just think this is a team, if Illinois can hang with them and get some turnovers, again, uh, create some turnovers that would uh, give them a chance to, to win this game. Yeah, the folks in Indiana feel they should have won that Michigan State game. And, uh, Do they? Yeah, and then, then if they had done that, their only loss would have been to Ohio State. But they, it was a close game late, and they gave up a score late uh, to lose it. But uh, let's look at the uh, Big Ten schedule today because there's some interesting uh, games on here. Seven teams are already qualified for bowls, and Illinois needs one win. Two other teams, Michigan State and Nebraska, need two more wins to get to that six-win level. Uh, Maryland plays at Ohio State today. Talk about point spreads, 43. (laughs) 
uh, for the Buckeyes, and that, that may fluctuate a little bit with Chase Young not playing, but I don't think that's going to affect much. But Ohio State, a big favorite over Maryland at home. We talked a little bit about the Penn State-Minnesota game, which uh, gets underway at the uh, top of the hour. That game intrigues me a little bit because I think I think Penn State will beat them, um, but Minnesota has surprised me uh, a little bit uh, at times this year. Oh, absolutely. They have after that those first three games when they played so poorly and won against a group of five teams that everybody probably wonders what I'm talking about, group of five, but the power five are the, are the major, five major conferences and then the group of five are the next group and uh, they're just down a, you know, a notch and, and Minnesota just barely escaped. In fact, they trailed in the fourth quarter of all three games at the beginning and then they started playing better and I, they looked pretty good against Illinois, didn't they? They did. Let's go back to, to the phones. Greg is traveling to the game. You're on the air with us. Go ahead, Greg. Hi guys, uh, really enjoying the show. You're uh, you're making the miles just fly by here. I got 157 six miles to go to East Lansing, and uh, meeting up with some fellow Illini at a tailgate here in a, in a couple hours. But uh, first of all, I want to commend you guys on your uh, all the uh, excellent guests you've had. Really enjoyed it. all the guys that come in, different points of view. That that Penn State guy was just a a fount of, uh, of football knowledge, really, really impressive. Uh, and I'd also want to say here, the reason I can listen to you guys is I know I just downloaded an app called Tuned In, and so here I come from Pittsburgh, and I can listen to WDWS all the way to East Landing. How, how cool is that? Really? Well, you got to know what you're yeah. doing, I guess. Well, I I barely do, but hey, uh, Lauren, I totally agree with you on. Uh, can, the question is, can Illinois keep up this uh, turnover production, you know, and points off the turnovers? I mean, that they can keep that up, and we can win. We got a good chance today, you know? Yeah, the, the thing about turnovers is that they tend to run in, in streaks, and, you you know, if you, if you look back maybe a year ago, same coaching staff, basically, and, and uh, you know, Illinois, I don't remember the stats, but they weren't dominating the turnovers like they are this year, and and it, it seems like it's kind of uh, once it got going, it just increased and increased, and they just keep doing it. So Hanson and, and Harding are having a tremendous year at linebacker, uh, and the turnovers are a big part of it. Oh, yeah. It's been huge. It's been huge. Hey, and switching gears on you real quick, basketball. You know, the guy that I'm worried about, you tell me what you guys think. Uh, when's Georgia going to, you know, get it going? What do you think, Steve? I think he's uh, – Trying to feel his way out of this new role, and uh, when you got a guy like Kofi in there, I think uh, there's a learning curve there. Um, they, I don't like. I, I guess I don't have a problem with Georgie taking an occasional three-point shot, but I don't want that to be Georgie. I want to still see him inside. He's got so many moves down low, but it gets a little clogged up in there when they're both in there. So maybe there's some happy medium there. Yeah. The, well, the you know, to, to respond to that, if you don't mind. I think we need George. I mean, uh, it's a tricky thing. He needs he needs that three-point shot. That'll open up the paint even more for Kofi inside. Then you can play them both at the same time. Otherwise, there's just not enough space inside for both those guys to coexist, is there? Yeah, I get that part. I just don't want that to be George's game, where he's just uh, hanging out out there on the line. That, that's what I was trying to say there. The, the big problem that Georgie's got right now is, de, is guarding quickness on the perimeter. That's the big problem. 
then. He really got hurt wow. that way last night, and he uh, he did foul out in 17 minutes, and there's a reason for that because the other – what happens is if you, you're guarding somebody that's quicker than you, it's hard to guard them, and you tend to foul. Yep. And he had a foul problem last year anyway. He fouled out 10 times last year. And so this is uh, – you know, I, I don't know you – know, I, I wonder – Sometimes I wonder which lineup would be best. Maybe you should just, if you're only going to play Kofi 22 minutes, let's say, or 24 minutes, okay, that's a kind of the plan. That's just barely over half of the game. I'd want Georgie playing the post on those other 18 minutes or whatever it is. I mean, of course, he's going to be in the game more than that. But there are times when I like the lineup better with uh, Griffin in at the four now, because he's got quickness. Now, I don't know if he can defend the big, slower guys in the Big Ten, the power the, the power forwards in the Big Ten. That's another story. But what they've run up against with these smaller teams is a lot of quickness that, that uh, Georgie has trouble handling. Yeah. Hey, so hey, Greg, uh, listen, a little tight, Greg, yeah. a little tight on time here. Uh, uh, okay. Sorry we okay. can't bring Thank you all you. the way in uh, with the show. We're about to wrap things up. But uh, <laughs> drive uh, carefully, and we appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. Enjoying the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. By the way, that uh, app that he was talking about is called TuneIn Radio. You can find that, and it's a very good app to uh, do exactly what he's doing. We'll take a final break and be back with some final words after this. Stay with us. A couple of minutes left on Illini Fellows Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate and uh, Steve Kelly. One game we mentioned a little bit earlier. I wanted to get your take on before we go, Lauren. Um, Iowa at Wisconsin, a battle of top uh, oh, 20 boy. teams. Uh, who, who do you like there? Boy, I don't know. I, I kind of think uh, Wisconsin's going to bounce back and win this, but I was I was going to keep it close. That's a close game, and, and uh, I just don't know if Wisconsin can, can complete enough passes uh, with their rookie quarterback to uh, to beat Iowa. They're going to have to because Iowa's going to throw a lot of people up front. and they're going. excuse me, Iowa's ranked number 18 in the country, Wisconsin number 16, and the Badgers – are uh, just over a nine-point favorite at home. Yeah, I, there's a big advantage playing at home, no question. So, I, I, I'd stake. I'd, I'll go with Wisconsin. I, you know, I think that uh, they got a great runner in, in, in Taylor, and they got a big, strong offensive line. But uh, they can't make the turnovers that they made against Illinois, or they'll lose. Mr. Tate, appreciate your time. We'll talk to you again a little bit later today. All right, in the bring, day. Them, bring them through, Steve. This is a big one today. We'll Put us in a bowl we'll... game. All right. We heard from uh, Brad Underwood after that win last night. We also had several guests, J.D. Collins talking about basketball officiating, Dion Thomas, Jack Ebling from the drive in East Lansing, David Jones about the uh, Penn State-Minnesota game, and Greg Hansen from the Arizona Daily Star. Thanks to our producers, Blake Landa in Champaign, Ed Bond here in East Lansing. For Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Have a great weekend, everybody.